Hi, and welcome to the Mavericks Unlimited podcast. I'm your host, Chris Leroy, and this is the place to be to get unstuck, unleash your superpowers, and create a world that works for all. On this podcast, we speak to Mavericks who inspire us. We aim to get the insight and wisdom from their story to give you the clarity, courage, conviction that you need to make your mark on the world. Our guest this week is my very dear friend and a maverick in the truest sense of the word, Slade Robertson. Slade launched his blog, Shift Your Spirits, in 2006. Since then, he's built a huge following for his gritty, no-nonsense, very practical take on spirituality that is exemplified by his tagline, fewer hearts and flowers and other new age blather. Slade is a professional intuitive and a mentor to budding intuitives. He's also a passionate fiction writer and has published two novels. What I love about Slade is his transparency and authenticity. In this interview, he's really honest about the ups and downs of his journey, but he does it with his trademark mix of humour, realism, and a healthy dose of scepticism. So with that, let's jump right in. So hey Mavericks, Uh, welcome to another episode of the Mavericks Unlimited podcast. And today I'm really pleased to say we've got my good friend from the States, Mr. Slade Robertson, on on the air with me. So hi Slade, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Now, Slade is someone I have been kind of in contact with for probably it's got to be about eight or nine years now, I think. Um, and he is a true maverick in the sense that we talk about mavericks. Uh, he has uh, he has a background in internet marketing. He is an author. He is a professional intuitive and a mentor to intuitives. And we're going to cover all of that today. So. Um, so Slade, first question, you know, we're, we're Mavericks Unlimited. What does the word maverick mean to you? The word maverick, the first thing that comes up to me is probably the synonym rebel. Um, and in the context of someone who does things their own way or thinks different from the herd, so to speak. Mm. And how does that, how does that apply to you as it were because i said just now i think you're a maverick so how how might you relate to that well my quite famous tagline is (laughs) (laughs) fewer hearts and flowers than most new age blather um (laughs) my whole approach to speaking and writing about new age and metaphysical subjects is i always felt like there was a level of intellectualism and practicality and sometimes edginess that was just left out. And, you know, Mm. I I always kind of felt like, what about the people who are covered in tattoos and drop lots of F-bombs? Can't they be spiritual too? (laughs) Um, And so that's kind of my, um, my audience, the cool kids at the back of the bus, um, you know, the, the disaffected teenager who grew up and then decided to work on themselves I love it. I love it. I can so relate to that myself. So, I mean, were you that disaffected teenager yourself? What's what's kind of your story? How did you kind of get here, as it were? Yeah, you know, I think that, like you will hear a lot of people talk about, I spent a lot of my time sort of suppressing parts of myself when I was younger. Um, I'd always had an interest in paranormal uh, subject matter. I'd had experiences with that. And to tell you the truth, there was a lot of fear around talking about things like hearing voices or knowing information that other people didn't know. Um, I was frankly terrified that someone would think that I was mentally ill if I let on. So that was something that I very much kept to myself. Um, 
I'd also always been interested in um, magic and Wicca and all these kind of um, supernatural types of personal development. At the time, I wouldn't have called them personal development. Mm. Um, Today, everyone, you know, uses terms like law of attraction. To me, it's, you know, spell crafting. That's what my teenage <laughs> right. Um, Which is actually kind of more glamorous and fun, really, when you think Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. It's a bit more buffy as well, I think. Yes, yes. So, you know, I, I think as everyone does in, in my youth, I was very insecure about the things that made me different. And when I grew up and sort of came into myself, those are the things that I embrace and, and think of as my power. Mm, I absolutely love that. But I, I guess like most people, it sounds like it was, a, it was a journey to get there, as it were. So what was it, what has been kind of that, that journey at kind of high level to be able to really embrace those parts of yourself? But I mean, did you have like a, a quote unquote mainstream part of your life, as it were? I did have a mainstream part of my life. Um, my, uh, I had a corporate retail background in human resources and I did a lot of headhunting and training. I was an employee relations person for, you know, a large region um, of the United States and, and did this in my late 20s. And I really loved the work, but um, it was essentially a lot of psychotherapy. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, I did a lot of psychotherapy without the training to do that. Right. And, um, the cool thing was, is it really taught me that I had an ability to interface with people in the context of like counseling and that I had a gift for that. And, and it also lit me up in a way that um, it was one of the only things that I'd ever pursued creatively or professionally that felt like it was about other people and um, more than myself. And, and so that was something of a turning point. Um, I got out of that environment to pursue working on a master's degree in, in psychotherapy. I had a creative writing bachelor's background. So um, I, and I still primarily think of myself as a writer first and all this other stuff is just versions of my words getting out. In different <laughs> ways. Um, uh, and it's all about storytelling. You know, it's all about human dynamics and programming and the way we interact with each other. And so yeah. it all makes kind of sense. Um, my last real job, quote unquote, uh, working for someone else was I was a student advisor for pre-professional students at Emory University. Um, in Atlanta, which is, right. you know, a, a pretty, we call it a kudzu league college because um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like an Ivy league level school, but it's in the South. And um, uh, it was a, my dream job on paper. It was amazing. It was, you know, essentially um, doing career counseling with yes. college students, um, which I loved. Um, but it, it all kind of blew up in my face and ended up being one of the most, disastrous experiences that I ever had. Really? So what, what was the, uh, so it sounds like that was a real turning point then. So what, what kind of happened from there as it were? <clears throat> well, the job was so stressful that I had an aneurysm. <laughs> um, wow. I, so it literally blew up. Yeah. Um, you know, the joke, don't give yourself an aneurysm. Um, when people say that to you when you're stressed out, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. well, it happened um, when I was 33 years old and wow. um, 
I had a tyrannical boss kind of situation, you know, just really, really terrible bullying yeah. day in and out. And, um, it, it got really, really bad to the point that I, um, woke up one day and half of my face and part of my upper body were paralyzed. Oh my um, God. Wow. So to, explain it as a turning point for me, really what happened was it was kind of like I worked my way into this thing that on paper looked like, yes, this is me. This is made for me. This is my dream job. Every I'm done. Mm. I have arrived. And then, you know, six months, nine months later, I literally had everything in my world stripped away from me um, to the point where I was a shut in. Um, I I, I wow. you know, because of my face being paralyzed, I didn't like to be in public. Um, it was out of the question to interview for jobs, wearing a pirate eye patch and having your voice slurred as if you were drunk, because that was a big part of it. I took a, a real hit in my speech. Um, and uh, so I spent probably 10 months stuck in my house just trying to rehabilitate my ability to speak normally again. And um, I kind of turned to a lot of my past spiritual practices and rituals and as a way of trying to heal myself. And wow. um, so there was a kind of a combination of things. It was the reaching for that spirituality, in particular, a connection to goddess energy and um, being unable to go anywhere or do anything and feeling like, okay, I need to be able to do something from home. Mm. Um, and uh, I always say it was kind of like the only thing that was left for me to try was sort of the thing that I'd always wanted to do, which was to write and to publish. So um, I started my own website. And that website was Shift Your Spirits, correct? Yes. Um, it took me, well, Shift Your Spirits actually wasn't my first website. I, um, I attempted a few. Um, I, <laughs> actually, uh, I actually found really quickly, I, I, I taught myself how to code and write HTML and CSS. And this was like in 2003 when blogs were kind of just on the horizon. I mean, they were out and people were using them, but they were very hard to install. And, you know, you, you had to be somewhat of a geek to even put up a blog. Um, and uh, right. so I was building blogs for people as a job, um, building websites and uh, teaching people how to do um, blogging and um, online marketing. And uh, I did Shift Your Spirits as a experiment. Um, I kind of felt like no one was really doing with the blogging what I felt like they could do. It was like they were they, they would have me build them this amazing thing and then they just kind of let it sit there. And I thought, maybe it's me, you know, maybe I don't right. know what I'm doing. So I decided to take a collection of essays about paranormal experiences that I'd had um, and uh, stuff about spirit guides, things that were completely unbusinessy and didn't, you know, stand a chance of, you know, being popular. Um, and uh, <laughs> I tucked it away on a corner of the internet and um, hundreds of people started finding it. And uh, that was the turning point. That became, that was Shift Your Spirits. 
So. Right, right, right. And I mean, it it kind of took off in quite a major way, didn't it? Because I mean, when I when I came across you, I think you had at least several thousand kind of just subscribers, let alone people who were visiting and all that kind of stuff. So, and it was certainly one of the first kind of new age spiritual blogs I came across. And I think that was probably a good few years after it was launched. So it's probably about 2008 or something like that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was um, 2006 um, when it launched. And I would say, if you found me in 2008, by that point, I was pretty much rocking and rolling. Um, I I think in the first month, I had 800 subscribers. Uh, But here was the thing. Back then, there was this thing called organic search, where (laughs) you could go into Google and um, type something, and it would literally just deliver you the best possible website that was talking about that. And there was not a lot of influence or, or ways of manipulating that. And so there was this honest authenticity to blogging to where if you were creating a lot of content that, that people were searching for, then they found you, um, you know? And so what was the surprise to me is that people were searching for what I was writing about. And I never even anticipated that happening. But what I did do was I set it up like, like a business from the beginning because I just mm. was, I was experimenting with my business practice as a, web architect or whatever. Um, And so I wanted to, you know, just try out all my bells and whistles and say, okay, well, what if I do everything by the book and I do what I feel like the clients aren't doing, what will happen? Um, And it, it worked. Um, People found it, people subscribed. Um, I have been blogging for 12 years. Um, Every Sunday I send out a a post. Um, These days it's a podcast. But uh, but I've been creating weekly content for 12 years. And um, yeah, so that's how it all started. Wow. Well, when did what was the the shift then that kind of if you were doing like this web development, web architect things you said, and then this when what was it that caused this to like suddenly become your main thing? And kind of where is that where is that taking you to kind of in, you know, in recent times? Well, it was a real game changer in terms of realizing that, oh, wow, you know, we spend all this time trying to do the stuff that we're supposed to do and believing that, you know, this big corporate XYZ thing, if I plug my energy into that, I'm going to get something back out of it. And so the thing that was really the switch for me was realizing that, first of all, my own thing, this really weird, quirky thing that I had kept under wraps for most of my life could have this much of an impact positively and have that much trajectory and energy and momentum. Um, And it was just all coming from my brain, which felt amazing. And um, what kind of happened as far as how that became my main job was I didn't really have any ideas about monetizing it or anything like that. I was just sort of list building and just blogging and really just enjoying the joy of having something productive to do. Because if you'll remember, I was in a very dark place. So this was what I lived for, you know, was, was sharing and um, communicating. And of course, back then everyone commented on your blog and you would become friends with your commenters. And, you know, we probably sort of became friends that way in some shape or form. And um, so what happened was 
the people who were reading my posts about communicating with spirits um, started to email me and ask me if I could do readings. And I really didn't know. So I said, I'll try and see what happens. And so I started doing these email readings for people. And um, that's how I discovered that I could do readings for people. And uh, I did so many of them that I kind of started charging for them initially, just so that I wouldn't have to do as many, because uh, it was it was kind of like a mountain of requests. And so I thought, okay, well, I need to dial this faucet down just a little bit. <laughs> and uh, I've always used the monetization as a way of controlling the level of or the volume of, you know, personal interaction. Um, and so it's really not as much about the money as it's about my time and how many people I can sort of energetically connect with. So what happened was, I think it was about 18 months, two years into this, I was kind of doing both. I was still building websites for other people. And then I was running this website of my own on the side. And um, it continued to grow to the point where the incomes were pretty much neck and neck. And at that point, I said, you know, the only thing keeping this from being my full time gig is just that these people are bothering me over here with their requests to fix things on their website. <laughs> and so um, I just, I just ditched everybody and just became my own client and put all uh, everything into uh, just shifter spirits. And that allowed it to, uh, it, which was a scary thing. I don't want to make light of that. You know, you, you know yeah. what that would feel like, um, but uh, it, um, it, it actually grew very quickly from that point. Wow. Wow. So that was, that was then. And as you said, you've been blogging for, for 12 years um, and now podcasting for over a year. And I know you do very, various bits and bobs. So what does the, what does the picture of doing your own thing look like now? Then? Hmm. It's becoming more and more deeply my own thing in that, you know, once you do start to do this stuff and it becomes professional, there, there you go through these phases of it becoming a job and, and you go through this phase of like needing to treat it as a, you know, a business and you get serious about it and, and you start to really listen to a lot of people's advice about marketing and relationships building and all that kind of marketing lingo becomes, you know, part of the way you talk and think. And I think I probably went through my own, you know, sort of ins and outs with all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that I, I sort of go through these cycles, right? It's almost like a relationship where <laughs> um, we, you know, have these horrible fights and don't speak for a while. And then I'll come back and I'll be like, well, I probably need to pay attention to my keywords more, you know, <laughs> and I sort of come crawling back to like all the best practices or I hear some, I listen to a lot of industry podcasts, you know, things that are, you know, more about marketing and publishing and things like that. And, and so yeah. it'll start to make me feel small and like, oh my God, I'm not doing all the things that's just, that you're supposed to do. And so I'll, I'll go through these waves and these periods. And I have to tell you right now, I'm in a real F all that kind of phase. Like I, I mean, 
it's good that I'm on Maverick show right now because I am um, I'm really feeling a lot of rebelliousness against um, all the what you should do kind of things. And one of the pieces of advice that I find myself giving to people about the way that I run my business is if you have a business that's essentially your personal brand, you know, you are like kind of a solo entrepreneur and it's as much about who you are as, as what you're talking about. Um, I really have come to think of marketing as simply putting myself out there so Mm. that people can resonate with me. And I, you know, the whole conversation about target markets and everybody's like, who's my target? Who's my avatar? Who's my target? And, you know, they're trying to define this person that they're aiming all this stuff at. And it has occurred to me that I'm the target. And uh, so I've just decided to be the target. And the people who think of me as a bullseye can self-select and come on board and and like what I'm about and, you know, connect with it. And um, yeah, so it's kind of like this weird inverted kind of, I don't care how everybody else is doing it anymore. Um, I must be doing that. something right. So maybe I should just do more of that. Hey, and if it works, then look, at, at, at the end of the day, I, I mean, I totally, totally uh, relate to that kind of relationship as, as you put it. But at the end of the day, people, people like come to you because they want you and what you're saying, right? As opposed to, you know, because there, there are a million and one blogs out there. But as you say, they're resonating with you for a reason. Absolutely. And you know what? I don't even think that we can always control it. Like we can try to do all these things to affect the way we look and, you know, like how we present ourselves and all that kind of stuff. And I become increasingly relaxed. And I think part of it is, is doing things like this where I'm, I'm just on the spot and nobody likes the sound of their own voice, you know, um, <laughs> but I've just kind of gotten to the point where I'm like, well, but I don't hear my own voice the way other people hear it. So I'm really not in control of how they respond to my voice. So the best thing that I can do is just speak and show my personality as much as possible, be helpful to the people who ask me for help um, and see, see who shows up you know, um, uh, just kind of put it out there and open the doors. I think if you're starting a process like that, you have to sort of have something that you're aiming for. But you know, you, you, the feedback from other people is really where you find your sense of direction. And I think it's easier to build a business, to build a practice as an intuitive or a coach or something like that, by following where your clients ask you to go. Um, as opposed to going off into some ivory tower and getting a certification and deciding what your brand's going to be. And then you like come down, you're like, ta-da, here I am. Who wants me to do it to them? You know, it's like, <laughs> um, there's a lot of pressure to come up with the right thing before you pull all those triggers, right? And right. so I am now kind of moving into this phase where I really feel like, no. You know, the thing that makes somebody hear me talk about spirituality and connect with me versus one of the other millions of people, like you said, who talk about the same things that I talk about. The only thing that makes me more attractive or appealing to them is something about me personally that they resonate with. And 
you know, I'm just going to trust that that is something that happens at a level that we almost can't even really explain. Um, So that the best thing that you can do as you're trying to present to the world is to just really truly be as authentic as possible. Um, It makes it easier for people to get you. And Mm. that's really what you want when you're, you know, marketing yourself is, you know, to say, here I am, this is what I'm about. Do you like me? Mm, I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think one of the other things that I love about what you're saying, but also about how you come across is the, the authenticity and the creativity kind of things. So that, that's kind of where I'd like to go. Because one of the things I, I know that you're up to is obviously you're pursuing your own fiction as well. And you've, you've had a couple of books published. So, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about your journey kind of to doing your own kind of fiction and writing as it were. Oh gosh. Yes. It's my passion. And, you know, I, I always wanted to be a novelist from the time I read the Lion, the witch in the wardrobe. Like my, my dream job was to grow up and be like C.S. Lewis, you know, meets Judy <laughs> Bloom or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Judy I, Bloom. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I was such a um, huge kid book nerd, you know, a, a total Hermione archetype for sure as a child. And, um, you know, so I always pursued that. I pursued that in high school and I went to college for it. And, you know, creative writing majors don't really translate to careers in the real world. <laughs> um, and uh, so, um, you know, that's why I kind of went on that whole corporate path. I met an agent. Um, one of the things that happened, just to take you back, because I, I kind of have these parallel tracks. I'm two people. I'm Slade Robertson is my nonfiction identity, and Eric Slade is my fiction identity. And when I was a shut-in uh, with wearing an eye patch and trying to figure out, like, what the hell do I do from mm. you know, my house? Um, you know, part of that was I wanted to be an author. And so uh, I actually landed an agent at that time for some fiction. And um, he and I really hit it off as friends and really went to war over the whole um, traditional publishing versus digital publishing. This was in 2003. And he, he did give me some really great advice. He created a a 10 year plan for me, which was to build a platform and build an audience, but to do it through nonfiction first and then bring in fiction later on because it's just easier to sell nonfiction to um, make an income uh, as a nonfiction author and speaker. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot more ways to kind of monetize that, et cetera. So um, he was really hell bent on, um, getting me a column like in a newspaper or a magazine and oh, wow. uh, very old school, old world, you know, way of doing things. And uh, I had this collection of articles because he had asked me, he was like, so what's the connection with this fiction? You write about all these people who essentially are like Joan of Arc characters. He said, all <laughs> the people in your fiction hear voices and are connected to divinity in some way. And they're ostracized and, you know, victimized for it. Like that's your, that's who you write about. So it's got to be you um, on some level. So what's the connection? And so he actually was the first person that I showed that nonfiction stuff too, you know, the articles about the paranormal experiences and all that kind of stuff. And he was like, this is awesome. You need a column. 
Um, and uh, he was really trying to get me some kind of like advice type column um, talking about spirituality and personal development. And I said, well, why don't I just do a blog? And he was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so I made a bet with him that I could build that I could build an audience with a blog faster than he could find me a column. And uh, he never wow. got Um, So that collection of essays that I gave him was what I put online as Shift Your Spirit. So there was this whole other thing going on where I have this relationship with this agent. And the goal is to ultimately get to the point 10 years down the road where I start to introduce fiction into the scene. Um, I actually, it took me 12 years. So uh, it it was a couple years short because I got so distracted by how wonderful the nonfiction, (laughs) you know. Um, So anyway, long story short, uh, about four years ago, I finally started publishing my novels and um, started to work on my fiction as a kind of side business. So now there's a weird relationship that kind of reminds me in a way of when I had the web development on one hand, and then I was doing this professional intuitive thing on the other. Now I'm doing two things in, in this different way. Um, but it, it, it's like, I always have two jobs. I can't seem to just pick one. It's, <laughs> it's too hard. Um, so having said all the wonderful things that I did to you about my maverick self and my attitude about marketing and yeah, you know, put yourself out there and let people just resonate with who you are. Um, a lot of that doesn't work with fiction. It's a whole other ball game and building my identity as a fiction author and building a list from scratch. Um, I am in the same boat as any other newbie and some things apply and then other things don't. Mm. Um, but one of the things that does kind of come through and continues to ring true is there's a power and a perseverance that's connected to your authentic voice in a way that trying to do things for the market is just never going to have the same amount of energy behind it. And you're going to get burnt out even doing things that you love every once in a while. And so, you know, yes, you could make more money if you wrote paranormal romance, but if you don't live and breathe paranormal romance, don't, try to be a paranormal romance author (laughs) because you'll have to do it for the rest of your life. And, you know, five years into it, you're going to be like, no more twilight. No, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question about creativity, but I am, I'm testing a lot of what I've, you know, like I kind of feel like, yeah, man, I'm cool. And I have like a certain amount of swagger when it comes to my nonfiction. Um, I'm very comfortable in, in that voice and who that person is. And, and now I'm trying to create something different and it's hard, you know, and I'm yeah. having to try to take my own advice and I'm kind of bad at it. <laughs> Healing heal myself eh? and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yes. So, so based on that, I mean, you know, one of the things we, we, you know, I found in my journey, I speak to a lot of mavericks, I find the same, and you know, also the people we work with, that there is this thing of finding, you know, finding that authentic path for yourself, or you've used the term authentic voice a couple of times. Mm. Um, 
and I think you know that word voice is very resonant for you. I would it's, I would associate that with you. How as a nice open question, how do you go about finding your authentic voice? You have to write a lot, I think, is the real thing. I think that, and, and I did do this with my podcast. The podcast was something a little bit new. It was still kind of the same voice, but it was a new format. And I did get to test some of this out. And one of the reasons why I'm here telling you that I'm so like all in on just sort of being me um, is because of the podcast. It was an opportunity for me to kind of try that and see what happens. And I launched very quickly and I, I kind of felt like, okay, the only way that I'm going to get really good at doing this is just to do like hundreds of episodes. And you know, the first 10 of them are going to suck and be horrible. And you're going to cringe when you go back and listen to them. So the only way to get past that is to do those and, and to get through them. You know, it's right. like, you can't, if you wait on the shore and like try to like really psych yourself up for it and practice and make it perfect and all that, I am a big believer in, um, in lots of iteration. And I think that you can't really predict where that voice is going to come from. And I don't think you can really control it. And it's not as neat and pretty as you would like. And if it really is a quantity game, then go get your 10,000 hours done, go get your, you know, million words written. Um, you know, the clock is ticking. And I kind of feel like, you know, maybe my 10th novel will be amazing. And I'll be like, yeah, that's it. That's what I was going for. But the only way I'm going to get there is to write nine that kind of annoy me. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> um, you know, they're like, Oh, that's not quite it. Um, so I I, for myself personally, what I'm really trying to do is just to write as much as possible and to finish things um, and to put them out into the world so that you can get feedback about it. Because going back to my earlier comment, that's really the only way that you can get any true sense of what's going on outside your own head. You really need other people to tell you. And yeah. uh, you don't have to follow what they tell you to do. But what you can do is create things for the people who love it. And once you start to get enough of an audience to where, you know, that person emails you and says, oh, my God, I love your podcast. I've listened to every episode. I went back and I binged the archives and I'm a huge fan. And for me, that's so liberating because I'm not just putting things out into the void. At that point, I'm like making something for that person. And I... I hope that that will come with the fiction at the level that it has with the nonfiction. I did get a text from a friend of mine last night who was asking me about my forthcoming sequel. And she was like, I'm really dying to read it. I can't wait for it to come out. And I thought, oh my God, thank you spirit guides who arranged for that text message to happen because that motivates me. Like yeah. I, I realized like, oh, I don't own this anymore. I made it for all these other people. And if it's not for them, then why the hell are you doing it? And once it's out there, then, then it's about them, you know, and you can sort of selflessly pursue the service of creating this story for this person who needs to hear it, you know? Um, right, 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 right. I, I, I love that. Um, inevitably though, right. There, there are times when there 
you know as well as I do, and this is writing, this is any kind of creative stuff. There are times when it just flows and it's wonderful and you're in it and it just feels great. And then there are times when you get stuck and it kind of sucks and it's kind of horrible and all that kind of thing. I think we've all had that kind of thing. Mm. So when that happens for you, what's your way of getting yourself unstuck? Hmm. I've been dealing with this a lot lately. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Glad to be topical. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had the flu. And so that really took me out of my routine in a way that I have to get back on again. So um, I'm going through that, like, oh, uh, that inertia and momentum that you have at the beginning. Um, I have found that for me, uh, it's easier to maintain momentum by doing a little bit of something every day. So Ooh. for instance, rather than making Saturday is my day to write, and I'm going to write 10,000 words on Saturday. Um, well, what if you're sick on Saturday? then you've lost a whole week of work. Um, or what if you're just not feeling it on that one day? So one of the things that I do to ensure against those days that suck is I just have a lot of them. And I know that just as surely as you have, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday are awful. Um, yeah. Thursday is one of those days where oh my God, it just flowed. And I wrote twice as many words as I normally do in the same amount of time. And so I found that that is really helpful for me is just having, um, knowing that, all right, well, I'll come back tomorrow and do it again. And once you see how often you get a little bit of both, um, you're really your best bet is to just have another day, have another swing at it. Um, because some of them will inevitably be better than others. Um, now, having said that, what do I actually do if I'm blocked in the moment to kind of deal with it a little bit? I have found, you, you know, the artist's way. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Julia Cameron. Love um, it. So my big takeaway from the artist's way has always been the morning pages, um, mm. doing free associative writing, you know, journaling. Um, and uh, so once I started writing professionally, I kind of had a resentment for any amount of words that I write that aren't actually going somewhere where people are going to read them. Um, and so I, I sort of stopped journaling and, you know, and didn't really do that kind of writing anymore. But what yeah. I do now is to kind of prime the pump is I will do a 15 minute timed morning page, if you will, um, writing exercise at the beginning of my writing session. And what I do in that little free associative messy thing is I have a conversation with myself about what I'm about to write. And I found that what that does is I do it in a completely different program. So I'm writing and drafting the actual book in Scrivener, but I'm doing my notes and journaling and stuff in Evernote. And so there's something about knowing that, oh, this doesn't count. I can say whatever I want and I can yeah. write dumb, dumb stuff and it doesn't have to actually go in the book. And so I just have conversations with myself about the work. And sometimes that's just literally like, okay, I'm going to list the things that I want in this scene. Um, and what sort of happens is maybe a few hundred words into that, you actually start to slip into usable content. You sort of start to, to get there a little bit. And so 
then what you can do is you can just like cut that off and move it over and put it in the official place. And that's become like this new technique for me that I found very freeing. And it does help a lot with the blocks, like maybe 90% of the time. Mm. Um, yeah. So love that. Yeah, I um I'm a big fan of uh journaling and um morning pages and gratitude journaling and walking meditation and you know what if you really just have a day where it's just making you pull your hair out you need to leave you need to let it go and um you know like uh preferably leave the house and go do something to ground yourself um right. and if you have it within your power to walk um, and if that's all that you can do, regardless of your level of fitness, if you can walk, go walk for 30 minutes, go walk for 45 minutes. Um, it's a kind of free associative thinking. Um, and sometimes, you know, the block will be broken washing dishes or walking or it's not going to be broken sitting there staring at the page telling yourself you suck no no absolutely well it's funny actually because we the, the podcast we put out this week was with a guy called david hamilton who is a, a a big writer around the science of spirituality in the uk and you know he was saying it was kind of talking about some of the neuroscience about how that works you know how going away distracting the areas of the brain that light up when you're kind of distracted doing something else and it you know it makes a whole lot of sense at the end of the day um so that 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 that's great advice so those are the kind of things you do to get yourself unstuck and so on and so forth i guess another another question around kind of daily routines and that kind of thing is you've been running your own business for many years now and i think you know a lot of people make that transition from corporate to uh running their own business will often do it because of that sense of freedom they assume that it's going to give them or that kind of stuff but we know that at times businesses can become all-consuming as well. So what, what do you do to kind of maintain balance each day? Um, you know, what kind of practices or structures or routines do you use to, you know, to keep a healthy balance of, of life and work, as it were? Mm, I, um, I use time. Uh, I, I schedule things in blocks um, of time. And I have very strict rules about when I stop working. Um, now, if somebody has a problem with like a download issue, or they've paid for something, and you know, they're, it's not being delivered correctly, or, you know, they're a legitimate uh, mentoree client of mine, or something like that, and they have a question, and they need a quick response, I will always jump on, you know, and deal with that. But I try to make a general rule that I don't do you know, I close the laptop at four, four thirty every afternoon. That's the main thing. Um, because the first four years that I worked for myself when I was a shut in and I was coding and I was building websites and doing all that stuff, I literally worked 24 seven. Like I lived at the computer. Mm -hmm. I ate at the computer. I was like a vampire, you know, and it was, it was bad. And I think that, Anybody who has done that whole, oh, I can work from my pajamas now, um, kind of uh, experience that liberation, you find out really quickly that um, there's something to be said for getting up and putting on nice clothes and taking a shower and leaving the house every day. Um, so I try to leave the house at least once a day. 
Um, I go and do my afternoon writing sessions at a, at a tea room that I really love. And uh, that allows me to have uh, some level of social interaction and fresh air and all that kind of <laughs> stuff, um, which is really amazing. And um, uh, the business is better for it, you know, and then I, um, I'm, I'm very, like I said, I kind of work a little bit every day, but I work shorter amounts of time. So I kind of work for two or three hours in the morning. And then I have a big block of sort of middle of the day, few hours of lunch and errands and watch a TV show, whatever I want to do with the middle of the day. And then in the afternoon, I work for a few more hours. And I try not to be super strict about what's going to happen within those blocks of time. So I dedicate, you know, certain morning blocks are for things like working on the podcast and certain morning blocks are for um, speaking with my clients. Um, And within those blocks, I kind of let it show up for me a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So I try not to overly schedule like, I can't tell you what I'm going to be doing three Wednesdays from now, but it'll have something to do with the podcast. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. 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 Get it. So I, Get I have this kind of combination of like really loose, like, Ooh, what do I feel in this moment? Um, combined with this very disciplined, you know, I show up for it every day and some days are bad and some days are good. And I just show up again the next mm. day. Mm. I think it, I, I never quite know who it was who said the phrase. I think it was attributed to, to William Faulkner, the, uh, the, the quote that something along the lines of um, somehow every morning I show up at my desk at 9am and I find inspiration there waiting for me. Mm, yes. And, and there's just something to that. I mean, it's funny because as uh, I, I've worked with a lot of writers and as I hear you talk, I hear a lot of the, the kind of the mindset of the writer kind of, uh, or the the creative, the artist in in the way you talk, which is kind of really quite something. Oh, good, that's very reassuring. I'm glad to know, <laughs> I'm glad to know I'm getting it right then. Well, um, well, I think it's about fi- finding your own way more than anything. So, yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to tell anyone that you know that my way would necessarily work for them, but for the person who hears that kind of level of sort of semi-rebelliousness combined with workaholism, um, you know, it's uh, at least maybe they'll be inspired to kind of blend their own mix of that as well. I love, so so a little bit of a sort of productivity potion making, if you like. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so um, so just, just a couple more questions. I'm kind of curious as to, uh, we've talked about a lot of the things you do, but I'm kind of curious as to, what feeds you as it were so i'm just kind of curious what kind of uh i don't know art or books or music or um films kind of have had a huge influence on you Mm. okay oh well oh my gosh all right so i am still a huge book nerd um i am a consumer of literary fiction fantasy sci-fi um, and I have always had a love for children's fantasy literature, and which I still read. So um, whatever, you know, your favorite 11-year-old is obsessed with, I'm probably reading it too, um, which is great now that we read everything digitally. No one knows that you're reading, you know, like this, <laughs> this like middle grade, you know, series like Percy Jackson or something. Um, I... 
I do love to read. It is, it is one of the things that I live for every day. It's the way that I end every day um, is, is reading fiction. Uh, so that's always a source of inspiration for me. Um, I am a late in life athlete. Um, I have become somewhat of a jock at, at 41. I'm 48 now. So most of my 40s, um, my social life has revolved around um, high intensity interval training and CrossFit and that whole world. Yes, I am one of those people. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm a member You're of that CrossFit. cult. Yeah, I'm a oh member of that God. cult. Wow. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, so that is. Um, that's a lot of who I am and what I'm doing when I'm not doing all of this. Um, but uh, again, you know, work-life balance thing, that's, that's a big part of it. That's where I get the health in. Um, I love to hike. I live in one of the most outdoorsy places in the world. Chattanooga, Tennessee has been named the best city, you know, for outdoorsy people like several years in a row or something like that. Um, a lot of people come here to kayak and, um, go mountain bike riding and, uh, you know, we have mountains and rivers and forests and it's all extremely, um, lovely weather here. You know, we have great seasons and all that. So I spend a lot of time outside and, um, it's, it's plays a big part in my fiction as well. Um, that kind of love of nature. So that's sort of who I am and, and where I'm drawing my experiences from, uh, music wise, gosh, you know, I'm still like a big, huge 4AD nerd. Um, I still <laughs> listen to the Cocteau Twins every day. Um, hey, we listen to them in our office more or less every day. So, um, I was listening to Kate Bush all week because of, you know, an article about, I think it was the kick inside turned 50 or something like that. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. And, uh, so I was like, yes, I must listen to Kate. Uh, so, it's weird because the part of me that loves music and pop culture is very much stuck in who I was when I was like a teenager. (laughs) Um, I still love the music that I loved then. Um, I, I, you know, I love music period. I'm just, I don't know what's different. I, I think I don't spend as much time seeking it out. You know, when we grew up, it was like hard to find and, you know, discovering musicians was like a big deal and getting the record store to like import that British vinyl and plastic was like a part of the whole treasure hunt, you know, and um, it's too easy now. So it's kind of like, yeah, you know. Let Pandora <laughs> pick something, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, Spotify playlist, whatever. You kind mm-hmm. of, I hear you totally, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, last couple of questions. So this this one is really about you know, we, you've talked a lot about people resonating with you, as it were, uh, and I think we, you know, we all have those people that we resonate with as well. So who are your kind of maverick heroes, and, and why? Oh, gosh. You know, one of the first people that comes to mind is actually Joanna Penn uh, from The Creative Pen. Are you familiar yeah, with her? I am indeed. I know Joanna's work very well, actually. So um, Joanna is kind of the center of a lot of the um, publishing industry um, stuff that I engage in, seminars that I go to and courses and people that I learn from. And so she's been a huge influence on me. And I hope to one day have her on my podcast because she's secretly like a super spiritual personal development girl. And I hear little bits and pieces of it. And I want to have like nail her down and make her talk about it. Um, but uh, <laughs> she, 
you know, she's someone who kind of single-handedly represented indie publishing for all of us for the last 10 years and mm. has really charted a course and, and, and shown how to do that. So she's a huge inspiration to me. Um, and I wouldn't have thought that until you asked me, but yeah, she comes to mind. Um, let's see who else is someone. Um, one of my heroes is, um, Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm really obsessed with The War of Art uh, by Stephen Pressfield. Oh, amazing book. Love it. Yeah, I've, I've rediscovered that and listened to it again. And, um, and, and found if anybody is dealing with blocks and creativity issues, please go and, and consume that. You can read it in like two hours and it's life changing. Um, I, uh, his publishing partner, Sean Coyne, um, is the developer of something called The Story Grid. Uh, which is um, a whole community of authors and editors that I'm very plugged into. So he's a bit of a hero of mine in terms of the whole writing and publishing industry as well. Um, I think the reason why I'm naming all these publishing people is because, like I said, I'm kind of, I'm kind of on a, on a, um, a, a smooth, you know, plateau over here with a lot of my nonfiction. And so as I'm trying to learn how to develop this fiction thing, um, those are the people that I'm that I'm going to and that I'm inspired by. Um, who else? Uh, spirituality wise, I think, you know, Carolyn Mace is a huge influence of mine. Um, when I think about my podcast, I think in my own mind, it's a combination of the creative pen. Like I sort of use her template. Like if you listen to both of the shows, you'll hear that I sort of do the same kind of segments. Um, and uh, and then um Carolyn Mace is the attitude. Um, <laughs> I, I can't, Definitely has that. There, sure. there was something about listening to, because I, I used to be really into a lot of the Hay House radio shows, especially when I first started being a professional intuitive and I wanted to like listen to other people who did it, you know, and learn from them. And Ooh. everyone's very nice to their clients. I'm very, very nice to my reading clients. You know, I'm very sweet and gentle and, and constructive and, I love the fact that people would come on Carolyn's show and and tell her some pathetic BS and she would just call them on it right then and there, you know, and just <laughs> filth. And, and I was like, and they loved it. They were like, yes, you know, um, give it to me, Carolyn. <laughs> and so um, I think, I think that she was one of those people who really represented that fewer hearts and flowers thing for me. Um, and so she's kind of my, like I want to be her when I grow up, you know. Got it, got it, totally. She's I've I've seen her a couple of times, thought, and she is absolutely kick-ass. There's no doubt about that. Awesome. <laughs> um, so f- last question, and this is something I ask all my guests on here. And you know, it's one of one of the things. Uh, you know, Mavericks. I guess that we were a little bit boy scout or girl scout in a certain kind of way of. You know, one of our ambitions is to help create a world that works for all, as it were. And I think we all have our way in which we want to kind of positively con- contribute, as it were. So if there were no limitations, what one thing would you change about the world? And what would be your first step of doing that or first step towards it? If there's one thing that I could change about the world, mm, I think I would, I think a redistribution of wealth in some really global way. Um, would really shift us more towards a Star Trek utopian society. <laughs> um, I think that that there really does need to be a point as, at which we collectively, as human beings, use the technology and the power that we have to cover everyone. 
because that really already exists and it's more this kind of tribalism and sort of base animalistic mindset that keeps us in all these you know warring factions of, of trying to control the mountain you know so to speak and I, I think if there's one thing I could change about the world, it would be to give everyone access to technology and the internet, which is happening. Um, I think that it could potentially be the democratizing force, you know, in w- among humanity is for as much as I'm putting myself out there, I want for everybody in the world to have that opportunity Um, because I'm sure there's millions and millions of people who have something even more genius to contribute than anything that you or I will do. Um, Mm. And uh, I would like to wave my wand and make that so. Great stuff. Great stuff. I love that. So obviously we will be putting the links and everything everywhere, but if people want to really find you and connect with you, where is the the best place that they they can connect with you on the internet? For everything to do with with me and my podcast and my readings, and um, if you'd like to download a free ebook and meditation to help you connect with your guides, you can go to sladeroberson.com. Um, if you're interested in my professional intuitive mentoring program, you can go to automaticintuition.com. Great stuff, great stuff. And when is your uh, when's your next novel coming out? Um. Uh, uh, I've got two kind of in the can. So um, it, it's it, they're sequels to a trilogy. So I hope within the next 18 months to kind of have see both of them uh, reach the light of day. And I don't have hard and fast deadlines because I'm not enough of a pro yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, if you're interested in my fiction, you can go to eric-slade.com and uh, I'll definitely let you know when it's out. And with that as well, just thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for coming on our podcast. Thank you for having me and creating this awesome platform for me to share. I appreciate it. Thank you. There you go, Mavericks. Uh, that was uh, my host, Slade Robinson. And uh, we will see you or you'll hear us on the next podcast. So see you then. Bye for now. Hey, listen up. Don't go yet. Did you get something meaningful out of this episode? Well, the most meaningful thing that you can do right now is to go and leave a review on iTunes because those reviews are what keep us here. And please make sure to share and to subscribe to this podcast. Finally, are you unleashing your superpowers? Well, if so, show us on Instagram with the hashtag MaverickSUnlimited and we'll see you over there. And with that, thanks so much for listening to the Mavericks Unlimited podcast at maverickunlimited.com. Bye for now.